Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I'm Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Ryan Fonder. Uh, Ryan Fonder is a film business reporter for the Los Angeles Times Company Town uh, and the host of the entertainment business newsletter, The Wide Shot. I just uh, subscribed this week. You guys got to sign up for it, The Wide Shot. I'll link to it in the newsletter, but make sure you make sure you do that. Uh, he, he writes about Hollywood studios, including Walt Disney, uh, and has covered such major stories as the Sony hack. Uh, you, you went to USC. Very exciting. My wife also went to USC, so... So got a little little connection there. Um, uh, So uh, thank you for being on the show, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sonny. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about ARPUs. This is in your in your uh, newsletter today. Can you can you tell first? I'm not I'm not uh, you know, I'm not using a bad word here. What is an ARPU? Explain that to the people. And so, how how yeah. and how it came up in the context of your newsletter, right? So basically, ARPU is something that uh, I've been thinking about and writing about for a little bit. And essentially, it's a financy term uh, that stands for revenue per user. And generally, how it's measured uh, when Wall Street analysts look at it is like how much revenue is the studio or streaming service getting per user per month. And this is basically like a way of measuring how good a business is streaming really because you know the, the, you've got these companies that are sacrificing all this money that they would normally get from you know licensing or box office and driving everybody to their streaming service. So you want to know, like, uh, aside from the land grab for uh, for market share and getting millions and millions of people to sign up, like, how much money are you actually making for those people? And so this is this is this is the way. Of of doing it, this is what Wall Street's yeah. come up with. And so and so, how does this shake out? I mean, in your in your newsletter, you have kind of a a, a, a not quite a ranking, but a a, a pretty a simple rundown of who is doing the best at this. Who who is who is doing best? Who's doing the worst? Right. So when you look at the rankings, which were put out by Moth and Nathanson, so I should give credit where it's due. There, they're the ones who put together the uh, the numbers. Uh, it's it's really the incumbents that are having the best uh, revenue per user because people like Netflix and services like Hulu they've had a lot of time to build up a lot of market share and they don't need necessarily to uh, give away their service for free or use a bunch of promotional uh, pricing schemes or uh, rely on Apple or Amazon to get their service out to people and those are services that charge like. 30%. They get like a 30% cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really like the services that are new and trying to break in like Apple uh, TV plus and uh, Peacock uh, Paramount plus a little less so because they're coming in as a, as a rebrand of CBS all access basically that are having to rely on all these uh, third party services and partnership deals to get people to sign up. Yeah, I mean, I, I the uh, I I was I was a little bit surprised when I saw Hulu uh, uh, come up as a as an incumbent, but I, it has been around a long time. It just it almost feels like an also ran um, at this point. But it is it's I subscribe to it. I know tons of people who do, um, and it it is uh, it's a pretty solid service all yeah. in all. Hulu's in a totally weird place because they still have part ownership by Comcast, so mm-hmm. Disney is still I think probably trying to figure out what exactly to do with it. But they do have this base of subscribers that is tens of millions of people that they, you know, if they bought out Comcast, they could maybe combine it with 
um, with Disney Plus and making an extra tile on there, they could figure out some way to use that content more efficiently. Yeah, I mean, I subscribe. So I actually subscribed to Hulu as part of a package with Disney Plus. I have like the Hulu, ESPN Plus, Disney Plus thing, um, right. which is, uh, I, again, it's kind of efficient, even if I don't really use ESPN Plus that much. And, you know, uh, Hulu is, is again, kind of an also. It's funny, I, I, I talk, I complain about this all the time, but I am getting to the point where I'm spending basically as much in streaming services as, you know, cable uh, uh, as a whole. But one of the interesting things in your newsletter is that you mentioned that the Disney Plus, for as, as successful as it has been, um, and as as good as these subscriber numbers are, it still has a relatively low ARPU just because of uh, the, the price of the service compared to everything else. Yeah, and also they're basically giving it away in India. Um, I don't know if you know about this, but they bundle yes. it with the existing Hotstar service, so it's extremely cheap. So they're not getting a lot of revenue per user there and also in Latin America, they're they're discounting it pretty heavily. I think yeah. uh, so. They're, they're going for you know market share right now in the hopes that they can jack up the price when people sort of consider it like Netflix, almost a utility that they can't get rid of. Yeah. Uh, so with with all of these services, there is there is kind of an interesting you know power play being done by uh, Comcast slash Universal slash Peacock um, with their streaming service, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit because I, I I talked about this a little bit last week with Richard Rushfield. I still don't understand it entirely. Right. So uh, my my understanding is that uh, that that on Peacock there are there's going to be exclusive movies like boss baby two right and and it's and uh the f9 is going to come exclusively to peacock but not really or or is this replacing vod is it explain the deal to me explain the deal to me so i understand it this time. okay so the, <laughs> the the way that uh so comcast is kind of in this weird situation where they're kind of half in half out on streaming so they're uh, they have all these deals in place where they want to grow peacock and they want to grow their broadband revenue, but they also don't want to sacrifice all the licensing and revenue and box office revenue. So they've done right. a few things. So they release a movie like Fast 9 in theaters, right? So that movie runs in theaters exclusively for uh, a certain amount of weeks. And then it moves to this second window, which is the PVOD window, which is new. Right. Um, and then that's how you charge, that's how they charge you 20 bucks to watch it, you know, 30 or 45 days after its theatrical release. And then you start something that's called the pay one window, which if your listeners don't know, is basically like the HBO deal. That's essentially what this is. It's like an eight, 18 month window that starts a certain amount of time after uh, theatrical and uh, PVOD. And what Universal has done has, first of all, they've moved up the window, the, uh, they've moved up the pay one window. So it now starts uh, no later than four four months after theatrical. Okay. Um, so that's a, a few months. That's about half. Uh, that's about half the amount of time that it would normally take. And then it goes to Peacock for the first four months of that window, and then it goes to some other service uh, for live action movies. It's Amazon now um, mm -hmm. for the next ten months, and then after that expires, it goes back to. Uh, Peacock for the remaining four months. So they basically okay. split the 18 month. Uh, the, the Boss Baby Studio has split the baby. That's what's going on. Okay. 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 Well, no, see, this makes more sense to me because I, I again, I was, I kept reading it and I was like, wait, they, so they have an exclusive, but not really. And then <laughs> yeah. again, 
I don't. So I, I guess here's my here's my my big question on this is all right. So you've got you've got theatrical window still. You've got this new PVOD window, which you know kind of came into. Uh, existence during the pandemic with movies like uh, The Hunt, right? And yeah. uh, The Invisible Man were yeah. like kind of the first in this range. Um, and then, uh, but then do they, are, are they essentially skipping the normal VOD window? Um, or will that exist in addition to being able to watch it on uh, Peacock? I think that still exists. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause I, so, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're doing, I, I don't know. It might depend uh, per, per film, but it's, it's a good question because it does seem like the priority has been like theaters, PBOD and then Peacock. And they haven't right. really talked openly about what that means for um, what that means for the regular VOD. Like when it okay. when it goes to five dollars. Okay, yeah. Uh, just curious because I imagine yeah. I imagine they'll keep it as as they keep as most studios keep everything. I mean, there there are places where you can go you can go see something on Netflix, but it's, you can still pay four dollars to see it on Amazon or whatever. Uh, yeah. So I I would assume they'd they'd keep doing that. But yeah, generally studios are not going to stop you from paying for a movie <laughs> if if you want to. <laughs> it seems like yeah, you think the pattern. Yeah, you'd think. Um, I did see what? that Paramount Plus just got Quiet Place Part Two. Um, which is like yes. a 45 day thing. So that was a little yeah. bit unusual to see that come in. It was expected, yeah. but it was like, oh, wow, this happened rather quickly. Like I just saw that in theaters. I, I mean, it's it's only been in theaters for five or six weeks now. I mean, it's it's still doing relatively decent business. Um, but uh, I guess maybe they think... And it's it's also hitting Blu-ray and DVD uh, in the next couple of weeks here. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're really... They really truncated that window. Um in theatrical, I, I guess we'll see. Uh, I, 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 here's my, I get, I, this is, this is, uh, a, a prediction question. So, you know, the, the, feel free to feel free to pass on it if you don't want to, but I'm, I'm very curious to get your take on if you think that this is going to, um, not necessarily with a quiet place part two, because nobody is really paying enough attention, uh, in the general audience to know that it's going to be, you know, on TVs and in, uh, you know, in Redbox or whatever, uh, starting, you know, in the next week or two here. Um, do you think that that sort of radical reduction in the window is going to have a downstream effect on theatrical where people just say, well, why would I go, why would I make the trip out to the theater to see this when I can just see it at home in a, in four or five weeks? I don't know. Cause like everything is totally thrown off by the pandemic, right? Like every data set that we have has this giant asterisk that says, you know, there's still people who are worried about going to theaters and, mm -hmm. and getting sick. Right. Um, whether the science backs that up or not with you know vaccinations and everything. So um, I guess the answer, one, one way to answer the question is to look at the box office drop-offs now week to week for the movies that are coming out with this uh, truncated window. Because you are starting to see, you know, Fast and Furious 9 did really well, but it dropped off faster uh, in its second weekend sure. than, a normal, um, than a normal Fast and Furious movie would. And then you look at the Black Widow numbers from this last weekend, which just took off like a rocket ship on uh, Friday. And I think Saturday, but it dropped off pretty significantly yeah. throughout well, the, the weekend. Yeah, the Thursday and Friday numbers were very good, yeah. very strong. And then Saturday came in really soft. They revised mm -hmm. the projection down by, I think, $10 million from Friday night to Saturday night. Yeah, it was looking like it might clear 90, but it did not. It definitely yeah. hit that $80 million mark. So, yeah, yeah. People are, so people are sort of speculating like, oh, well, is that 
is it that front loaded just because all the fans showed up on Friday and, and Thursday and decided and other people who were kind of on the fence just decided to download it. Yeah. I mean, everything does seem to be very front loaded right now. I mean, that yeah. that is that is absolutely the case. I mean, even even a movie like uh, you know, a Quiet Place Part Two, which opened very well and has and has actually held on pretty decently as the weeks have gone along. Even that had a sixty something percent drop off, you know, in the in the second weekend, which is big for a movie that was that well received. What do you make of Disney's uh, a? What do you make of Disney's decision to release the numbers for uh, Black Widow's premiere access um, uh, offering? And also, what do you make of the numbers themselves? I mean, is this are, are 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 we as analysts and reporters supposed to look at this and say, well, actually, this was a hundred and forty million dollar weekend when you take the eighty million plus the sixty million, or do we look at it a little more skeptically and say, well, you know, look, it's sixty million, that's a lot, but uh, we don't know what, how that compares to the rest and 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 whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of parts to that question, right? So <laughs> Sorry. I, so when I no, it was. Not not a dig. It was just uh, <laughs> me stalling. So uh, so the, when the numbers came out, and I, and I just saw it in my uh, inbox in the morning, my first reaction was, "Oh my gosh, they actually release numbers," which is unusual for a, a streaming service release of any kind. And it actually has a dollar figure attached to it, and I can kind of divide it by thirty and see how many people actually did this. So the, yeah. This is cool, and I hope that more uh, companies do this, and not just for the. Not just for the movies that obviously they're happy about the numbers with. I mean, in, a, in, a, in an ideal world, we would have a world where uh, studios would release numbers in a way that could be verified by third parties, or we had some sort of third party service like Nielsen that uh, was generally accepted for stuff like that. But we don't have that right now, so we're just kind of relying on the studios to um, to, to follow Disney's lead essentially and put out and hopefully put out more numbers because they're interesting. Um, and then the numbers themselves, right? I mean, sixty right. million seems like a lot, and you when you look at how it breaks down, studios and, and, and Disney included generally keep about you know fifty to sixty percent of the box office uh, of ticket sales. Uh, streaming uh, or these streaming releases where people charge extra, uh, they keep more of that. Like they have to give a little bit to Apple and uh, the mm-hmm. the third party app companies if people are buying through if people are doing the transaction through those services. But in general, it's a pretty good straight-to-consumer business. So I don't know. It it, it does seem like people, they will continue to do something like this for movies that maybe aren't Marvel-level or Star Wars-level stuff. I mean, why wouldn't they? Sure, sure. I mean, I, I I will be very I will be very curious to see what they do with Shang Chi and the Eternals and all. You know, they keep saying no, those are going to be theatrical, but I we'll we'll see. Um, I I did actually have a a like kind of specific business question about the uh, Roku pass through and all that. So mm-hmm. did, if if you uh, let's say I'm watching, I I watch Disney Plus on my Apple TV. Uh, so if I'm watching Disney Plus on my Apple TV and I decide, okay, I need to, I want to get, the, I want to get Black Widow. I want to pay $30 for Black Widow. Uh, does Apple get a cut of that? And do we know what the percentages are? I think they do get a cut of that. Okay. I mean, I probably shouldn't say without totally verifying that, because I've actually put the, that question to the, the companies, but, um, and haven't gotten an answer, but I think it's generally understood that uh, Apple and those, those companies get a, cut of that as long as you're doing the transaction through uh, uh, those services and they're the ones that are running your credit card. 
think that's how sure. it works. Okay. But if I went to, if I went to like Disney Plus's website, if I went to, you know, if I typed in on my laptop, disneyplus.com, it would probably just all go to, to Disney Plus then. Oh yeah. It's just, it's just interesting to think about because again, when you do the math in your head, you're like, okay, theaters get, uh, you know, 40% of the revenue from these box office uh, movies and studios get the other, you know, 55 to 60% or whatever. In China, it's worse. Right. Um, and, you know, in, in Europe, it's better. It kind of depends on, but like with these things, it's kind of like, well, here are the numbers. I don't know. I don't really know how the math works anymore. But it is nice just to have numbers, as you say. Exactly. Uh, it is. It is. It's been such a black hole recently. Yeah. I, uh, it's been it's been very frustrating. Um, so uh, speaking of China, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, what's happening in China. So I was I was kind of surprised. I got a text message from a a friend mm-hmm. uh, who who was like, "Hey, did you realize that Warner Brothers' uh, new Space Jam movie is not playing in China? That it got bumped from the release schedule?" And I was like, "Oh, did it?" And then we we went back and forth. We could we we weren't one hundred percent sure if it had ever been on the schedule. Yeah, which is fascinating because that is a movie that is 100% designed to appeal to Chinese audiences, you know, biggest basketball star in the world. And it's huge in China. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's, it seems like a huge problem for Warners that this is not going to be playing in China now. And even if they put it in theaters in China in a month, it will have been pirated for the last month. I mean, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see how any, I don't see any other uh, takeaway from this, and this is kind of a disaster. Yeah, it seems like maybe a little bit of a dodge for them to say that the the, the movie never had a release date in China. Because you're right; like ideally, you want that release date that Fast Nine had, where you just like it's all boom, all at the same time, and no one can pirate it afterward, yeah. right? So, I mean, this does seem like a pattern with studios now though and i don't think black widow currently has a release date in china either it um, doesn't, i don't think it does no so and with the disney part the entanglement seems fairly obvious that there could be a couple of culprits there like with the chloe Zhao stuff which i know you guys mm-hmm. have talked about quite sure. a bit so disney might have some issues there the uh mba uh, issue in china could be a factor in sure. the, the Warner Brothers situation. Um, but it's another, it's just like how China works generally is that they'll just kick you out and not tell you why. Like you'll never actually know for sure what it was um, from the from the government's point of view. Like, uh, was it the you know, was it the nine dash line thing for her for Abominable, or was it the uh, the jacket thing for Tom Cruise and, and and Top Gun? Like, you'll never actually know for sure. You'll just kind of be left guessing, and that's like part of the weapon. Is you just like you have studios that are just kind of trying to to uncheck all of those boxes so that they don't get in, in trouble. But yeah, I mean, I do. You, do you think that I? I mean, set aside F9's performance in China, which was very very good the first weekend, and then kind of fell off a cliff the second weekend mm-hmm. um, after all the John Cena Taiwan stuff. Another again, another landmine, another kind of unexpected landmine. I mean, do you get, do you get the sense that that studios are starting to wonder if they should pull away or if they need if they want to double down. I mean, I, I, it just seems like an untenable situation to have this, this weird, we don't know if our movie, if our $200 million movie is going to open in China. Like, I, I don't see how you can make that work. Yeah. And especially since now we're in the situation where all these movies have been basically made for the last year and a half. 
and movies, the lead time on a movie is, is two years anyway. So you've got these studios that are trying to design films and write scripts and do editing the, to, to appease a government where you don't know what it's going to be thinking in two years. So yeah, it does. It definitely seems like a problem. <laughs> At the very least, a uh, small problem. Um, uh, speaking of problems, uh, Amazon has an antitrust problem with the FTC. Um, I, I know you've written about this a little bit. Can you can you uh, fill folks in on what is happening with the Amazon purchase of MGM um, and and some of the uh, roadblocks that has run into? Uh, in DC. Yeah. Well, so at the, at the beginning, when they first announced the deal, there was like, okay, well, it's obviously going to have to go through some sort of regulatory, uh, uh, shoots and shoots and ladders in order to get approved so they can do this deal. Um, and then you were thinking, okay, well, we called a bunch of entertainment lawyers and, and antitrust attorneys to ask them, do you think that this is going to be an issue? And well, you know, from the, from the surface of it, uh, it doesn't really look like a monopolistic move in the traditional sense because this is a, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty small studio that does not give Amazon monopoly power in terms of market share or anything like that when, um, when, when they absorb it. But now it's starting to look like, we're starting to see some political rumblings of this at the beginning, but now that the FTC is looking at it, you know, chaired by this, um, chaired by this person who is a noted Amazon critic and has been super critical, wrote like a, I think a Yale Law School article about Amazon's monopolistic practices. Um, yeah, it does seem like they're going to have more roadblocks than they thought they were going to. And you know, my my thinking, my thought, you know, talking to a USC antitrust attorney was that you know, the for, Two takeaways from this. One is that the antitrust standards in Washington have moved in a very different direction from where they traditionally have been uh, in, in terms of you know, how governments look at blocking mergers and how to rein in big business. Like they're they're looking at it in a way that's less about um, you know whether you were talking about vertical mergers or horizontal mergers and more just like these companies are getting too big and powerful. I'm looking for ways to, to, to stop that. Um, and then, you know, you look at, uh, it's just, I think I lost my train of thought there for a second, but, uh, there, you have the, the, the bigger antitrust problems uh, in terms of larger government. And then, you know, the, the other part of it is that, um, when, like with AT&T, the government didn't have to win that case to cause a massive mm -hmm. headache, uh, for AT&T mm -hmm. when it bought Time Warner and, uh, and, and Warner Media, like they were able to hold up the deal for months. Uh, and that arguably led HBO Max to lose some of its competitive advantage because of its delay in getting to market. So yeah, those are kind of the things that I'm thinking about with this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to I, I I would be very curious because, as you say, I mean, like buying MGM doesn't give Amazon a monopoly over movies for sure because MGM, you know, there's a reason MGM's on the market, mm -hmm. and it's not because it's lighting the world on fire. Uh, and you know, uh, but uh, Amazon is huge and it's enormous. And it's just kind of sucking up more and more stuff. Um, uh, I say this as somebody who orders something from Amazon about every other day. So I'm, you know, as, as uh, part of the problem here, uh, you right, know, right. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Uh, 
let's let's uh, let's shift a little bit and talk about um, the Emmys. A little more, a little more fun topic. You know, everybody everybody loves award season. More fun than um, antitrust. Come on, more fun than antitrust. It's just a little bit. Uh, but what, you know, it, it is interesting to look at the the big nominees this year. You know, um, uh, Lovecraft Country got a bunch of. Uh, uh, nominations, WandaVision and The Mandalorian get a bunch of nominations. Uh, the Crown, of course, gets a ton of nominations, right? Um, the shift from network, first network TV to pay slash basic cable TV and now to streaming has been striking. It's been a striking shift over these last, I mean, really like 15 years or so mm-hmm. um, to, to this, uh, you know, technology that did not exist uh, in, in until relatively recent memory is now the dominant force in awards. Um, and I'm, I'm curious what, uh, what you, what your takeaway is as, as far as it goes uh, in terms of these uh, companies appealing to viewers, right? Like, what is what is the competitive advantage for an HBO Max or a Disney Plus to say, hey, it's, we don't just have, you know, your Marvel shows. We've also got Marvel shows that are Emmy nominated. Mm-hmm. Come on, we're, we're good. We're not just, we're not just uh, you know, telling these stories. We're also really good. Yeah, because the knock on Netflix for years has basically been like, we pro- they produce a bunch of stuff and a lot of it is, is not very good. Uh, but it's just like it's basically Walmart. You know, you just come in and, and, and there's just tons of shelf space and, and everything's full and you can spend as much time as you want there. And that's the business model. So this is a chance for them to be like, hey, we can, you know, it's not just HBO that can make good shows. We can do it too. And you can watch The Crown and you can watch, I mean, this is another conversation, but Emily in Paris got nominated, uh, and you know they didn't even have to you know bribe the uh, Emmy voters like Golden Globes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, uh, and yeah, it's the smaller services too. It, it's basically a milestone for a lot of these guys. Like you know, I got a press release from Apple TV Plus saying they got thirty five nominations, and twenty of them were from Ted Lasso. So come on yeah. down, you know. So it's just like another kind of. It, it's it's a legitimacy thing. Yeah, you know, everyone wants to be honored by their peers when they're yeah. in an industry, especially if you're a new player. Yeah, I mean, I like. I, I first off, Ted Lasso is great. Everyone should go see Ted Lasso. We're deserved every one of those nominations. Um, the but what's what's what 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 is interesting here though is that again, it's it is you know Apple TV Plus not a huge service in terms of the number of people watching it, as far as I or anyone else can tell. It's not. It's not. Um, you know, doing Netflix or HBO style numbers. It's not, nobody, nobody's a hundred percent sure, uh, what, what the audience numbers on any of these services look like, but as best as we can tell, not, not that great. But I mean, you, when you, when you have, when you have the Emmys highlighting, uh, one of these services, it, it has to be a big boost, right? It has to be, this is like natural advertising. This is like earned advertising. It's like, Hey, we've got, we got stuff to watch, come watch it. Absolutely. Like as soon as they not as soon as they announce the nominations, HBO Max is sending out like giant banners uh, on social media with Jean Smart and her pose for Hacks, and like also another you know definitely a recommendation. Everyone should watch yeah. Hacks; it's very fun. But yeah, that is basically like free advertising for 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 everybody. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's your what, what, what? Quick, what's your takeaway on the on the Emmy noms? Who's your who's your favorites? Who do you like? Uh, put you on the spot here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just dodge it and go where I thought (laughs) (laughs) something interesting was that, you know, Lovecraft Country getting all those uh, nominations, that show is canceled, which is a pretty interesting twist in this 
whole thing generally. Yeah. That's a and that's a um that an HBO show. It's an HBO yeah. Max. So it's HBO yeah. Max in in unusual for HBO. It, uh, the show did get canceled. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of expensive, I guess. You know, the numbers were okay, but not amazing. But it did just get uh, what eighteen Emmy nominations, something like that. Yeah, and HBO is generally okay giving its shows some breathing room, even if they're not hugely yeah. popular. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if somebody else picks it up if it and if it ends up on Netflix or. Uh, somewhere else. Um, and yeah, like I said, Ted Lasso is great. Everyone should watch Ted Lasso. Uh, I think the new season of that starts this month at some point. Um, and I've, I've, uh, I've heard good. Th- what, what, what's the Gene Smart show? Hacks. Hacks. Yes. Yeah, I heard. I, I was just. I was in DC this weekend, and and one of and one of my best friends was like, "You have to watch Hacks. It's great." Uh, and I, I, I. So it's on the list now. It's on the. It is on the list. Um, all right. Well, that's that's about everything I wanted to ask you uh, for for the show. What what should I have asked? What what is going on in the uh, world of the uh, Hollywood entertainment industry that people should know about that I failed to ask? I don't know. We covered a lot of ground, right? So I guess we didn't cover like the you know merger mania or anything like that. But you know that's a little bit probably something that probably deserves its own podcast at some point. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much for going on. Right now, um, but yeah, I mean, are, is there any is there any movement in the uh, the uh, Discovery Plus HBO Warner's uh, universe? Do we have any any more idea of what's happening there? Not really. They still have the um, they still have some uh, regulatory hurdles to go, and that'll take a while. That's not expected to close until twenty twenty two. So they're very much uh, legally bound to not really mess with it too much. <laughs> Um, even though David's Labs, a lot from Discovery has been visiting the lot and all of that. And, you know, they were just in Sun Valley, you know, with the billionaire summer mm-hmm. camp and David's Lab was on, was on CNBC talking about how he's not done yet making deals. So that's sort of like, it's intriguing, but vague. It's a threat. Sort of billionaire kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to, yeah. we're going to eat everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you do? You think Barry Diller is right? Speaking of Sun Valley, you know Barry Diller's out there saying movies are dead. Movies, movies are dead. We're, we're we're it's it's all done. Movies are done as a as an art form. I think it's worth pointing out that Barry Diller is as accomplished as he is hasn't run a movie studio in like thirty years. I think other people have made that point too. And yeah, you know, I was looking at it. I was like last last time when he was at when he left Fox the year before that they put out Sleeping with the Enemy. So just like mm-hmm. to contextualize that whole thing. Okay. But it does seem like you know he. He does seem to be right in the sense of you know the cultural buildup for a movie and the amount of money that goes into the buildup for a new movie that gets launched. Like that does seem to be somewhat lacking in streaming releases, and that seems to be mm-hmm. missing in a lot of the releases that we're seeing uh, now. But I don't know. Like Black Widow made eighty million dollars, and people paid thirty dollars a pop to watch it on the couch. So. I don't know if movies are dead. They're just very, very, very different. Um, yeah. 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 No, I mean, the, the cultural, the cultural cachet of the film has definitely declined a little bit. And, you know, when you're not spending a hundred million dollars on ads and billboards and everything, you, you got to kind of expect that. I mean, yeah. Netflix's Netflix's business model is the movies here on your TV. Just watch it. You know, I don't need to, we don't need to tell you about it on the football games you can just go go see it yeah just personal anecdote i was watching summer soul i'm I'm in i'm in a new place right now so just my tv setup isn't really Mm -hmm. all all there and so i don't have the speaker set up 
and all that. So I turned on Summer Soul, the Questlove uh, Harlem music documentary. Sure. Um, and, and just playing it on my crappy uh, laptop speakers and trying to make the most of it. And man, it made me nostalgic for wanting to sit in an actual Dolby Atmos sound system yeah. and actually hear Sly and the Family Stone on the biggest uh, speaker possible. So, yeah. Mm. Well, one of these days we'll be able to go see everything in theaters again, maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. Hard, hard, to, hard to tell. Hard to tell. Uh, all right, Ryan, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it a great deal. And uh, tell everybody again about your newsletter uh, and and where to sign up and all of that. Sell yourself. Yeah. Sell yourself to the people. So it's uh, so the wide shot. It's six months old. It just had its uh, six-month uh, half birthday. So, uh, and, and, and it's available at latimes.com slash wide shot, uh, one word, and uh, sign up and open the emails. You know, we'd really, yep. really appreciate it. Uh, I, like I said, I signed up last week. It's great. I've been going back through the archives. Uh, well worth your time. And it's free, which is nice. It is it's free. Nice to get, it's nice to get free things, <laughs> uh, which is which is good. So uh, sign up for that. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then. Bye.